Three, two, one, roll the footage. When you say roll the footage and nothing happens. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay, the intro doesn't want to roll. Welcome, everybody, to the strategy show. Our guest today was living the death by paycheck cycle. And 24,000 in debt, Seth walked the streets with a single dime. Dead set on doubling it. 20 And why am I mute? Something is not working go. here. Now I can hear you. Now I can hear you. You can hear me, but we are black. Yeah, not really. Your browser failed to play the video. I can see you and I can hear you, Simon. All right, then let's just go on. Okay. Uh, today, Seth's team manages over 100 million in annual revenue for name brands and silent investors on the Amazon platform. The co-founder of Just One Dime, Seth has trained over 100,000 entrepreneurs in over 150 countries, many of whom are multimillionaires today. Seth team built and scaled the Amazon store for one of the sharks from the Shark Tank TV show, runs a sourcing team in China and multiple fulfillment centers across the US and was requested by two countries to train their top businesses. Headquarter in Austin, Texas, Seth is raising an army of investors and entrepreneurs who leverage innovation, capital, and vision to help the human race for future generation. Welcome, everybody, Seth Neep. <laughs> thank you so much. So honored to be on your show, Simon, and thank you for having me. So cool to have you here. Seth, what are you currently creating? Right now, I am writing a book. And the name of the book is how to build a fortune selling on Amazon. I'm taking all my years of experience, all the mistakes I've made, all the victories I've had, all the failed products that I've learned from, and I'm putting it into one single book. And I'm interweaving into the how-to tactical steps my story, how I did it, how it was very different back in 2014 when I began compared to 2020 today team of multiple people who now work as a team with me so we can build Amazon stores for investors. Beautiful. And um, what have you what have you experienced in this funky year and how are you navigating it? <laughs> I love the question, Simon. <laughs> you said this is a funky year and I agree with you. Well, first of all, I listen to a lot of funky jazz music. It helps. <laughs> Not kidding. Pun intended. Um, but in all seriousness, so this year has helped our Amazon stores and the stores that we're building for our investors. It's actually grown them. And it's sad, but it's reality. The money is shifting. There's, in my opinion, this is the biggest shift of money in the history of the world where money's moving from brick and mortar to online. So at the same time, while people are losing their jobs, and those of you guys who have jobs, you are blessed. Like, thank God for that. That is so amazing. But a lot of people have lost their jobs because the need, the cash is moving from the brick and mortar to the online e-commerce space. And because we were already in that space, it's given us a huge advantage. In fact, there was a lot of things we didn't change at all. We just noticed the sales began to increase when COVID hit. 
And so as much as it's hurt some, it's also been a huge advantage for Amazon sellers. So I'm super curious about the Amazon thing, but let's start by the beginning. So you have experienced low points and you know how to work from the bottom up. Yes, what sir. did you learn from that years for, yes. for the current situation? Yeah, great, great question. So I'm going to go back to 2010. From 2010 to 2014, I like to call those my wandering years. That's when life was extremely difficult for me, not just in finances, but even in my relationships as a father, as a husband, in managing my money, in my relationship with my boss. So everything seemed to be just falling apart during that time. That's why I call it the wandering season. I was struggling with a major identity crisis. What was I supposed to do? For many years, I thought I was supposed to go in full-time ministry. And I didn't realize I wasn't supposed to. I was supposed to be an entrepreneur. But to think like an entrepreneur required me to start thinking differently. And that's why I started with a single dime. I knew that if I started with a dollar or with $10 or with $100 and said, I'm going to double that, I knew that that actually is much faster mathematically. But the reason I wanted to start with a dime is because a dime is the highest value coin in US currency for its size. Therefore, I knew that by starting with a dime, if I could faithfully double that dime and celebrate going from 10 cents to 20 cents, as much as I would celebrate going from 200 to $400 or from 500,000 to a million, then I could continue. I needed to be able to celebrate the little wins. But my problem was I took so many things for granted. I was looking for someone to come in and rescue me and give me my big break. And so that's why I walked around and just began to double a dime asking random people. When it got to $400, I used that to purchase my first inventory and began selling cremation urns on eBay, which didn't do very well. Then I began to sell them on Amazon and they started doing very well. And that's when I knew, Simon, I can do something here. In the process, I started an e-cigarette vape business, which failed miserably. I sold it. I can tell someone I sold a company for $35 on eBay. <laughs> but I also began to take the money I made from Amazon and invest it into condos here in Austin and rent those out as short-term rentals on the Airbnb platform. But all of this began with that dime. I knew I needed to learn to be faithful in little things, and this would help me to change in how we manage my money how I manage my kids, how I manage my relationships, that it really was a change from the inside out. So when we go through hard, I mean, there was a time in our company just when we were really hurting. We had to reduce salaries. We had to let some staff go. We were hurting financially, but this was years later. Our Amazon stores were doing great. Our coaching company was not. What did I learn from it? Well, if I could be broken on the street with a dime, then I can definitely succeed in this situation as well. So learning that when your company or your finances go down, that doesn't mean the death of you or you failed. It simply means you hustle. You're going to learn from it and you have to go lean for a while. You have to cut some of the fat and get rid of the extra expenses you don't need and just focus on how can I make sure we are cash flow positive so that we can survive. So when COVID hit, it actually helped us. It didn't hurt us. But the mindset, you know, what's going on in the world, I don't watch much mainstream media anymore because it's so negative. I mean, mainstream media, and I don't care if you watch CNN or Fox, they make money by sharing negativity. And Simon, I cannot live happily as a person if I'm reading the news. I'll never forget listening to the speaker. He was so good. He said, tell me this. He said, I want to know how many of you feel better about the United States of America after watching mainstream media? 
doesn't matter what year it is. doesn't matter what election it is. doesn't matter if you're liberal, if you're conservative. It doesn't matter. You will always feel more negative because mainstream media makes money off of being negative. So I had to cut that out and focus on people, individuals, my staff, my business partners, my students, because those people are not negative. And when they're going through a negative time, I can give them hope and words of advice and encouragement because I know what it is like to suffer. I know what it's like to have nothing. And I know what it is like to have a lot. And I've had to learn contentment, how to be content as a human, whether I have millions or nothing, I'm still here. I'm still blessed. I'm still drinking black tea. I'm good to go. Contentment is really relevant right now. And uh, I, we started our company very lean. Our philosophy is very lean. We always were quite lean. And then came COVID and uh, a lot of... Uh, was stripped away, of course, also a big cash crunch. Yeah. And then I was revisiting all the all the expenses and so that we were not lean anymore. Because when you ride a big wave of success, then it might happen that you that you forget exactly. about contentment and you exactly. bring in too much input and I you agree. you plan for too much, you know, overhead and too much buildings and stuff that really works under the assumption that growth will go on and on. But there could be another assumption and say, okay, what's the minimum growth that we need and what is the leanest way we can go on? Yeah. What, what, what did you see in these years that you now are applying to your team, to your work? Did you learn something from that years that you now are applying to your team? Oh, sorry. I didn't understand the question. I understand. Okay. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so what I'm applying to my team is ask this simple question. Where is your ROI? In other words, if you put time or money or effort or energy or thought into something, which actions are going to give you the best return on your efforts? I'll give you a, a, an example. So just yesterday, our team approached me and said, hey, Seth, I have an idea for better thumbnails when we post YouTube videos. And it was actually a great idea. These thumbnails were gonna go on Instagram and we were gonna have a couple of them. And one thing I reminded them, I said, look, this is a great plan. You've thought it through. It looks beautiful. It's amazing. But after all is said and done, if it doesn't result in better conversion, then we scrap the idea and we find something that works better. So let's test it. So it doesn't matter how amazing, romantic, or sexy an idea is. If it's not tested and it's not getting us the ROI we're looking for, then we have to be willing to divorce ourselves from our emotional attachment to this brilliant idea and focus on what actually gets results. It's a funny thing, but sometimes we'll come up with this idea and Simon, we're like, man, this is going to be amazing. People are going to love this. And then we go test it and we're like, Wow, that did really terrible. <laughs> like you never really know. Or on Amazon, we'll switch out a photo because we think this photo, man, it's going to really convert. And it doesn't. So what I've learned and what I'm teaching our team is never emotionally attach yourself to a strategy just because you think it's great. Because it really doesn't matter if you like it. What matters is do your followers, your customers who are buying your Amazon products or who are investing in your company to build Amazon stores for, that's what matters the most, the ROI. What is the return on the investment I give? And just one more thought on this really quick, Simon, because I think it's such a brilliant question. 
I think it's easy for new entrepreneurs to only think of ROI in terms of money. In other words, if I spend $10, am I going to make 10 more? Okay, that's great. And I think it's natural, very natural for new entrepreneurs to think only in terms of money when it comes to ROI. But we often forget that there's another asset we need to think about, and that is time. In other words, if I was to spend 100 hours on a project, will I get the return of investment that I'm looking for based on, like I could actually make more money on some projects, but because it takes so much time versus a different product we're gonna launch, which takes less time, the ROI on this one is actually greater. Because once I spend a second of my life, I never get it back, it's gone forever. I can get a refund on money, I can't get a refund on time. And I think it's easy for new entrepreneurs to value money too highly and value time too lowly. And then over time, you begin, I mean, this is why I didn't do FBA for a while, Simon. I was shipping all the products myself. My whole family would line up. We had the tape out and we would tape up every single package and we'd ship them out. And we got to a point where we were shipping a hundred products plus a day and it was killing us. Like we had no time left. And then I thought, wait a minute. The reason I've been resisting sending my products to Amazon's fulfillment center for so long is because Amazon's going to take some of that cost out. They're going to have some of that fee taken out. But I had to rethink Simon and think, wait a minute, is it worth it to me to take time away from my family? See what I mean? It was starting to impact time with my family, which is another asset. So the ROI was no longer worth it. And what's funny, even though Amazon does charge more, if you have them fulfill the orders for you, it the product actually converts better because now it has that prime badge on the listing on Amazon. We will learn so much about Amazon business in the next minutes, I'm excited. Just before we go there, who do you nominate for the strategy award? This is a very difficult question for me. And you did prepare, you told me in advance, I do have an answer because there are four individuals who I think deserve it. But I would like to give it to Dan Rogers. Dan Rogers. Yeah. Dan Rogers, he's from South Africa. He now lives in London. He creates a lot of content for Amazon followers. Um, he has been my student, he has been my business partner, and he's also become my friend. And Dan Rogers has gone through a lot. And when I say gone through a lot, I don't mean just good fluffy stuff, I mean difficult stuff. And because he has never given up, because of his resilience, and because of his strategical thinking to always find a solution, I think he is worthy of that honor, Simon. Dan Rogers, R-O-D, G-E-R-S. Thank you. And now let's go to Amazon. Let's start really as if we knew nothing about that. Sure. What's the business? Who is it for? Sure. Absolutely. So the business is for what is called a third-party seller. In other words, if I go to Amazon to buy a product, there is a the, the statistics say, according to Amazon, that over 50% of those products purchased are being purchased from a third-party seller. And a third-party seller is someone like myself who launch products, we build products, we have them built by manufacturers, we ship those products into Amazon's fulfillment center. It's like this big warehouse and they're all over the US, US and in other parts of the world now as well. And then when Bobby McGee, our favorite customer, buys that product, I get paid for it, Amazon gets paid for it, and I already paid the manufacturer. So in other words, it's an opportunity if you want to launch a physical product, a product that you can see, touch, and feel. Amazon is the fastest 
way I know of making money today. And I've been doing this for years now, and I've tried many different things, but I don't know of any other path that is more long-term scalable than launching a physical product on Amazon. And it's funny when people, Simon, they'll say, oh, Amazon's saturated. I love it when they say that because those same people are buying products on Amazon, making us third-party sellers rich. <laughs> and this is, you do this and you also teach this, right? Correct. So we sell on Amazon. When I say we, I'm referring to, so right here, we're in Austin. Our headquarters are here in Austin, Texas. We have members, followers, students coming by every week just to say, hi, how are you doing? They want to meet us in person, which is wonderful. So when I say we, I'm referring to our staff here. And we have a total of 37 staff around the world. We have people in London. We have people in Russia. We have people in the Philippines. And we're, we have a bunch of teams. So what we do is really three things. We sell on Amazon. We teach people how to sell on Amazon. And then we build Amazon stores for people who have a lot of capital, but they don't have the time or want to deal with the hassle of trying to learn how to sell on Amazon. So they'll say, look guys, you know, I got 80,000 or 60,000 or a million dollars. I want to invest in this. And then it's our job to get them, speaking of ROI, a really good ROI on that investment that they made. Nice. Yeah, tell us about some success stories in, in people working with you and what you could achieve. Absolutely. So one of my favorite success story is Brett George. Uh, Brett George is one of our students. He joined us a little over a year ago. He has an extremely successful store on Amazon. He launches a lot of products there. But what's most interesting about his story is he came up with this patent. And this patent is, I can't, I'm not going to share what it is because I'm not allowed to, but let me just say it's very, very viable. And he got it registered and approved and everything. And an automotive company approached Brett and said, hey, Brett, we would like to pay you 16 and a half million to buy your patent. And here's the success part. The success part is not how much they offered. That's great. Sure. Here's the success part, Simon. Brett said no. And the reason he said no is because he sees a future opportunity to take that patent and run with it and launch products through it. And he believes he will make far more than 16 and a half million that this big, huge, massive automotive company offered him for. That is just one of many. And, and I want to add to that one thing, Brett. I mean, Simon, sorry. It is not easy to build a business. There's a lot of people out there who are saying it's easy. Just follow these three secrets or these three steps and it's easy. It's not, it's hard. But has there ever been anything you did in your entire life that was worth doing that was easy? Doesn't come to my mind right now. <laughs> I mean, I was asking it just generically, but yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I was really thinking, and uh, no, I, I, I have definitely never built a business that was easy to build. But I think of things in my life that are easy and worth it. But I guess we we're talking business here, right? <laughs> so <laughs> beautiful. What did you recently change your mind about? multiple things. <laughs> I'll give you one. So we had investors approach us and they were willing to give us $20 million to build 
multiple stores. They wanted four stores and multiple product lines on each of those stores. This is They represent a very large company. And even though we liked them as people a lot, we did not feel they would be great business partners to scale with. So nothing against them personally, but we turned it down. And that was a very difficult decision because you know, 20 million may not be a lot to someone like Mark Cuban or Kevin O'Leary, but that's a lot to me. I'm a multimillionaire, but 20 million, like that's getting up there. <laughs> and we said no. And the reason we said no is because we had to ask ourselves a very simple question. One year from now, Seth, and this was a big team decision. I did not make this on my own. It was me and three other teammates. We sat down and we said, look, can we see ourselves working with these investors one year from now and enjoying it? and growing with them, or do we think it's going to be a pain in the neck? And the decision was, it, we're not going to enjoy it. They just, they didn't, their mindset was so different than ours and how they do business. It didn't align with the values that we hold dear to our heart. So we said, no, that was a hard decision. Now, if you had asked me this question, Simon, <coughs> excuse me, if you had asked me, uh, COVID, sorry, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> if you had asked me this question two years ago, Maybe 18 months ago, I probably would have handled it very different. I probably would have said, you know what? No, we'll go with it. This is a great opportunity. But what I'm learning and continuing to learn at 42 years old is that even though some opportunities look amazing, just because it looks amazing and the money opportunity is high, it is not worth sacrificing precious time or relationships in order to get there if it's if the cost in those assets is going to be too high one of your favorite books uh, which happens to be also one of my favorite books is the goal by eliyahu goldred yeah and um i'm curious how do you apply it how do you live it <laughs> thank you for this question because People ask me this a lot. People who've read the book, like, how does that apply to Amazon? Because you're really not like the assembly line. So let me just give context first. So the goal talks about going from raw materials to sales and how to optimize the process from the beginning of the, it's almost like you're standing in a factor. And Elia, who has obvious experience in a factory, it's like you're standing there and he's teaching you, here's how to make the most of that entire process. This process, even though we don't own a factory, Simon, even though we are not technically the manufacturer, like we are working with manufacturers, the principles apply to every business. And here is my favorite part where he says, what is your bottleneck? In other words, let's just say the beginning of a process of launching a product on Amazon. First, we do product research. Then we decide we find the product. Then we decide on differentiation. Then we find a manufacturer. And then we decide how to launch the product. So those are all steps in the process. Which one of those steps is holding up what's coming behind? That's your bottleneck. And in my mind, I assumed, Simon, that a bottleneck is a bad thing. And Elihu says, actually, it's not a bad thing. It's simply where you need to put your attention to. So let's just say, for example, the holdup was on the manufacturing. So the question is, how do I optimize and speed up and more automate that process because it's holding up my other products that are trying to get in and it's taking time away from launching and selling products, the marketing side of the company. And so what he says in the book is 
if you focus on the bottleneck and automate it and find out what needs to be done, maybe you need to hire more staff to get more help. Maybe you need a sourcing agency. Maybe you need a sourcing assistant. Maybe you need a team in the country where it's being manufactured. Maybe you need to visit that country twice a year. See what I mean? There's so many ways you can automate the part of, or speed up, optimize the manufacturing part of the process. Once you do that, and that now the products are, you know, are manufactured more quickly, there's less holdup. Well, guess what? You'll have a new bottleneck because <laughs> there's always going to be one point in the assembly line process where it slows down the most. And what it does is the book has taught me how to prioritize where I should be putting my focuses in the companies that we run. We do real estate. We build Amazon stores. We run a coaching company. We sell on Amazon. We're opening a software company. There's so many things we're doing, Simon. So, and it's very difficult because some days I get to the office and I feel like my mind is going to melt because there's so many things to do. Well, that book, the goal, the principles show me what to do. Where's the bottleneck? Boom, we focus on that. And then I get the best ROI on what I'm doing. Strong. How do you find the bottleneck? Do you have a, a, a thinking process there and a discussion checklist? Yes. So we create a SOP, a, a standard operating procedure. We like to call them workflows for everything that we do. So we use Notion. This is the document application we use. And in Notion, we have toggles. So every stage of every process we know, from again, from raw materials all the way to marketing, what is that process for the product? And this doesn't just apply to physical products. It also applies to digital products, such as coaching, which is digital. It's not a physical thing. It's teaching. It's the same concept, though. Once we have our SOP created, then we look at how much time it takes to get a for the process of a product from beginning to end, from raw material to in the hands of the customer, how much time does each process take? And when one of those segments in the SOP is drawing more resources from our staff than the other ones, and it's slowing us down and other staff are waiting, hey, I'm ready for this, I'm ready for this, or maybe even the manufacturer's wait waiting, that's how we know. So the system is based on resources. What is extracting resources from other departments, taking them away from what they should be focusing on because this department or this, this uh, step in the process is not optimized well. Beautiful. And the first step in your value chain is market research. How can you do that quickly and, and with, 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 yeah, with basically with zero budget or low budget? Yeah, absolutely. So the easiest way, if you have no budget, let's say you don't even want to get a seller software tool, like you don't have to have software tools like Helium 10, Jungle Scout, Amazow to succeed on Amazon. I didn't when I started. I've launched many products without any software tools, even today. So the first step is you simply need to find what products are selling well. How do you know they're selling well based on how they're ranking? So let's just give a simple example. If I am looking up, let's use this, coffee mugs. And I search Sweden Viking coffee mug. And I look at the BSR, which is the best sellers rating or best sellers ranking. It's going, that number is going to tell me who is at the top in that category. I know that the ones with the lowest number for that category, the BSR, the lowest number, it's like in a race, you know, if we're racing, the lower number is the winner. Number one is better than being number three, number four. So the lower the number for BSR, the faster this product is selling. So it's based on context. I don't even have to know how many times it's selling per day if I'm using this technique, Simon. If, if there, here's the category and I see, okay, let's just say there's, there's 100,000 products in that category. 
the ones that are in the top 2000, I know are selling very well. Another way is, are they showing up on the first page of search results or at least the top page of the second page of the second page of search results? Once I know that, now I know the demand is there. Now, when you said quickly, that word makes me nervous, Simon, <laughs> because, <clears throat> excuse me, because there are so many people who they're looking for it quickly. I don't believe there is a quick way to do it. I really don't. And again, I'm not saying I know everything, but I've been doing this so for so long and I've launched so many products. I don't think there is a quick way to do it. There's an optimized way to do it. I think the real struggle is not getting enough data. I think the struggle is getting lost in the data. It's sort of like the shiny object syndrome. When I was a kid, I used to trap, I would trap raccoons. And one way we trap them is you take a little ball of foil, you take foil, you, you, uh, you crinkle it up into a ball and you put it inside this little netting. So raccoons, they love shiny things and they reach out and they grab that foil and they can't get their hand out and that's how you trap them. And no offense to anyone who's PETA or does not believe in hunting and everything, I'm vegan but I still liked hunting and trapping as a kid. So I don't mean to offend you, but I'm just going to be blunt. And I am from Texas. <laughs> so what would happen is the raccoon is seduced by the shiny object. Well, the same happens with the product researcher. They, they look at, oh man, this is a cool product. This is great. And then they notice something else. Oh, this is a cool one. And then some, it's kind of like, you know, the girlfriend who can't stand it when the boyfriends walk along is always noticing another woman's butt. You know what I mean? Not to be crass, but like they hate that, right? They're always noticing something else instead of focusing on the one that they know is great, right? What happens is the original excitement about this product, because the numbers are great, I can see the demand is high. It begins to fade because something else caught their attention. And all of a sudden, my emotional attachment to this one has begun to fade. And now I'm on to the next one and then the next one, and then the next one. And just like this can destroy someone when relationships, if they have that kind of thinking about relationships, it can also destroy someone's mind when it comes to product research. So the way to do it is to understand how you feel emotionally about a product is irrelevant. I'm not saying don't enjoy the product. I'm not saying don't obsess about it. And of course you're gonna get excited. I'm just saying it really doesn't matter for the future of the business if you are emotionally controlled by the product. In other words, you're going to get so sick of this product that you launch because you think about it, you talk about it, you obsess about it, you get photos of it, you research keywords on it, you talk to manufacturers about it, you read reviews on it, you go into online groups about it. You're going to get absolutely sick of the product you're launching. But you cannot let that be a reason to move on to something else because it's shinier. Because, you know, that ex initial excitement has faded from the first product. You have to keep going. That is how you don't uh, that is how you can speed up the process or not move too slowly. So again, the issue is not not having enough data. It's being analytical about the data. Do the facts show me <clears throat> that this product, Simon, has great demand? And if they do, then I need to now execute on that. Even though some days I love the product and some days I hate the product, it doesn't matter. Because what I'm doing this for, I'm doing this to make money. I want to grow my wealth. And so I have to remember that the product... As much as I may like it, it's still a means to an end. Now, don't apply that part to relationships because that would be bad. <laughs> you have brought a, a gift for us and for our community, which I, I am very excited about. But first, one of the controversial questions and discussions around Amazon right now, and uh, one is that it is so risky to inoculate against them stealing your idea, stealing your product. If it's a good one, they will replicate it. Sure. And now there is this one 
one school that says, okay, don't touch it, don't do it, it's bad. And then there is the other school which says, well, supermarkets did it all the time. That's part of the business. Just be faster, just be better. Uh, what, what's your take? Excellent question. And I want to rephrase it if you don't mind, Simon. It's a great question. Should I be scared of Amazon selling products? Should I be scared that Amazon's going to take my product ideas and steal them? Let me deliver some facts. Amazon's track record of succeeding with their own private label products is not nearly as strong as many would believe. We kind of just assume, well, it's Amazon, of course, it's their platform. Wrong. Many of their products have failed. They are a seller just like me. And even though this can cause some fear and trepidation at first, here's what I do. I don't care. I, if I believe in this product, I'm going to sell it better and faster than Amazon. I treat Amazon like any other seller. And the idea that Amazon's going to steal my idea, well, that's true of any competitor. Unless they're infringing on a patent or a copyright or a trademark, they have every right to steal my idea. I mean, let's be real. All of us are stealing ideas constantly. Now, let me qualify by what I mean by that. I'm sitting, I go to the bathroom, not to be crass. I'm sitting there, right? I'm just waiting, checking my phone. And I notice that the toilet paper holder is annoying every time I have to change out the toilet paper. And I think, wow, I bet you I could come up with a much better holder. I didn't get that idea just by myself. There's other people who created the toilet paper holder and someone else is going to see that online and they're going to try to create a superior version. So in that context, yes, your ideas will be stolen. But my only question is simply in response to someone who says that is if they're making money, why can't you too? Are you admitting that they're better than you? Are you admitting that, yep, they're because they're Amazon or even any other third party seller, you can't do it? One, one more thought on this. And I think you're going to love this fact. A lot of huge companies, and I will refrain from naming them, a lot of huge companies have launched on Amazon and they got their butts kicked because third-party sellers did a better job. Now, we would assume, well, these companies, they got lots of money and brand value and experience and all of this. Well, they didn't know how to sell on Amazon and us third-party sellers crushed them. And some of them left Amazon because they got so frustrated, not because third party sellers were stealing their idea, but because they were selling the same kind of product totally within right. And they did a better job of selling. So here's the, the thing. People focus on, they're going to take my idea. No, no, no. The idea, ideas are worth a dime a dozen. Everyone has ideas. What matters is not the idea, but execution of the idea. You get have 10 different people all with the same idea, the same product, but one of them is winning. Why? Because she understands keywords, because he understands PPC, because they know how to build a listing, because they know how to connect with customers who buy that product and blow their mind, which results in five-star organic reviews. And in the end, their product ranks better than anyone. This is so important because many people, right, and also, also right now in Q4 2020, they freeze up because they think, oh, I have to keep this secret and, and, and when it's perfect, I will tell. Because if somebody knows, they will steal my idea. Exactly. And actually, anybody can steal your strategy. And I say this as the, C this, the CEO of Strategy Sprints, yeah. but I say it publicly, everybody can steal your strategy, nothing happens. Yep. The execution matters. And so you can be faster because you are on the road already. So you have the knowledge, you have the precision, you have the skills, you have the SOPs, the workflows that are that working together. And you have a team who is on a roll already. You have momentum. 
and you have the speed of learning. So you see more, you learn more, you yeah. know more, yeah. and that's your advantage. Yep. So everybody can steal my strategy. Our strategies are even public. It's a notion page <laughs> and uh, it's your called strategies in your company name. <laughs> yes. And we have a notion page. It's a public page. It says sprint planning what yeah. we're up to. Yeah. And so there are there, what we are up to next year. Q1 is in there. Everybody can can steal it and do it. Yeah. Just we will be faster. That's it. Yeah. And we will be better yeah. because we know more because we have run more experiments yeah. and we know more. And Simon, That's it. If you don't mind, I just want to add one thing to what you said that's so powerful. You mentioned how transparent you are about your strategies. I mean, your company is a strategy company. You talk about it, you're transparent and yet you guys are doing great. How is that? Well, I think people sometimes forget. They think like this. Okay, I'm an Amazon seller. My hope is in my product. No, it's not. It's in your ability to execute. In other words, they, they remove the factor, the value of their unique perspective, their emotional intelligence, their IQ, their experience, their connections, their online social, all those things they can bring in a unique way that no one else can bring because they are unique. I believe at the core, at the seed of this belief that if someone steals my idea, I'm just going to die and my company is going to go under. At the seed of that belief is a sense that I'm not unique. I'm kind of like everyone else and my only hope is in the product. What they've done is they've underestimated the value they can bring because every human on this planet is unique and in my opinion, eternal and infinitely valuable. That's why I always say people are the most important asset when it comes to people, time, knowledge, and money. This is a very important thing also, especially in these times. Everybody is unique and infinitely valuable. Now, you have brought something very valuable for us. You have a gift that you want to share with our community. Yes, absolutely. So this is called a product research evaluation tool. And the website is jod.com slash P-R-E is an echo, T is in Tom, or product research evaluation tool. Again, it's J-O-D, stands for just one dime, jod.com slash P is in Paul, or P is in product, R as in research, E as in evaluation, and T as in tool. JOD.com slash Pret. What it does, Simon, is it is a simple Google sheet with formulas and tools that allows you, when you talked about product research and we talked about your mind feeling like overwhelmed, it allows you to take all your research for launching a product, not just on Amazon, but anywhere in the world, and you put it into this sheet and you can evaluate objectively, not emotionally, which one has the greatest potential. And it focuses on all the most important market points that would impact the success of that product. And it's free. Strong, thank you. Absolutely. And, uh, and uh, where can people read more, get more of your knowledge, find all your offers? Sure, absolutely. If they go to jod.com, J-O-D stands for justwhenime.com. That's where all our information is. What we do, who we are as a team, and there's a ton of free coaching we do there and resources they can take advantage of. Beautiful. Who should be my next guest? Your next guest should be the one and only Patrick Kupalari. Patrick Kupalari, also known as Profit Business Gurus. You can find him on YouTube. <clears throat> I'm happy to send you his information later after this if you'd like. 
Um, you can find them on Instagram as well. Profit, P-R-O-P-H-E-T, not P-R-O-F-I-T. Profit, like a prophetic prophet, business gurus. This guy focuses on providing content to teach people how to succeed in e-commerce. And they also help to build Amazon stores for people. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Seth, for being on the show and Absolutely. come back soon. All right, Simon. Thank you so much for having me, man. I really enjoyed it. Bye-bye. Avoid trying to do thousands of things that doesn't work. We have 274 templates for your business success. Reach your ambitious goals with one-on-one -on -one sprint coach. We double your revenue in 90 days.